Hello and welcome to episode 118 of the Fundraising Bright Spots podcast. My name's Rob Woods and this is the show for anyone who works in fundraising and who wants ideas and maybe a dose of inspiration to help you raise more money and really enjoy your job. In today's show, I'll share the second of two recent interviews with a brilliant fundraiser named Louise Morris of Summit Fundraising, who you may recognise from several of our early episodes about major donor fundraising. This time, we decided to put together a couple of special episodes in which we focus on a handful of ideas that have especially resonated with us from all the Fundraising Bright Spots shows that I put out in 2022. We started last time in episode 117, by sharing four ideas and examples that we really liked. And here in episode 118 are four more. Hello, Louise. Welcome back to the podcast. Thanks, Rob. And we're doing part two, aren't we, of a roundup of the Bright Spot podcast this year. And I know we had quite a lot of other ideas that we didn't manage to get into the first part. So I've got a couple that I'd love to mention, but I know there was a Thankathon episode with Alice that you were keen to include. So as I went first last time, over to you. Yeah, absolutely. So if we're on the, our game, we'll manage it to fit in at least three or four in this half hour. And the first one I couldn't resist talking about again because it really inspired me. It's episode 103 with the wonderful Alice Barley. And it's kind of a story within a story because the gist is that Alice came to our breakfast club for fundraising leaders I think in January 2020 when the world was a slightly different place and at that breakfast club that I organized and it was in person in those days there were a couple of wonderful speakers Louise Wells and Sarah Tavener I had invited to come and do a talk they're from the Mines Advisory Group MAG and they did a talk about how they've created specific thanking days or thankathons in the last few years. And they shared with our group of fundraising leaders just how powerful this has been. And Alice let me know when I interviewed her for episode 103 that she had been in that audience and she'd just been there sitting near the back, just absorbing ideas and chatting to a couple of people. But something resonated about this idea that Louise and Sarah had had. And Alice thought, well, th- there's no reason why we shouldn't do that. And it might just help with some things we're wrestling with. She went back and she mentioned the idea to her chief executive who said, great idea, why not <laughs> crack on? And a key thing she mentioned is that it just so happens the demographic for some of their giving or a key element of giving support for Chance for Childhood, which is where she's the director, a key element of their support comes from slightly older people who are retired and so on. And just the the nature of that demographic is that for years, individual giving that is unrestricted has been in decline because some people are dying, maybe their living situation is changing as, as they're retiring and so on. And this had been a long-term challenge for their charity. Alice started a thankathon. She got the board involved. She got her couple of colleagues in fundraising and a few colleagues maybe in service delivery, just writing some thank you cards, 
making some phone calls. She worked out these five people for that board member to call up and give a thank you message to. And she importantly put it one date in time. I think that's a key element that is valuable for the listener if you're considering this. And um, knowing that everyone else was doing it at the same time, increased the chances that people would do it rather than keep putting it off. I think at two o'clock on the afternoon, she encouraged them to open this little package she'd sent them because I think there was in at that point in 2020, everyone was still working from home, but they opened up and she sent, or sent them all the Kit Kat and they felt good and they shared how much they'd enjoyed some of these thank you calls, which is a crucial element. And that first one was a great success. In fact, it went so well that I think the chair of trustees just started to absolutely love this concept to the extent that in subsequent thankathons, the chair has made it almost compulsory that if you're on our board, this thankathon is part of what you do. You've got to have a really good excuse not to get involved. And that is just a, a signal of the kind of a culture shift that has happened in Alice's charity, other things have happened which help non-fundraising people. Now, they're just more likely to understand the needs of the donors and why we might be requesting this information or those case studies and, and so on. So various things have shifted and the catalyst for this shift in culture, Alice mentions, was that first thankathon. Yeah, I love it. And particularly for me, you know, there is increasing research now. We've always known that thanking is obviously the right thing to do. Our supporters need it. But Professor Jen Chang at the Institute of Sustainable Philanthropy is leading this that actually it's now proven that if people are thanked four or more times in a year, they give more and they give for longer. And that's not thanking and here's our next appeal or thanking, but do you know anyone else who might be interested? It's just a genuine thank you. And the thing I love about it is when I work with fundraisers, normally in the major donor sphere, but it goes across the board and they might be a bit apprehensive about calling to thank. Invariably, what happens when we meet up maybe for a next coaching session afterwards is they say, I had a really enjoyable conversation. And that's the thing that comes through here, Rob, is that enjoyment. And yes, Alice putting things in place so that if people were feeling a bit more apprehensive about thanking, they could enjoy it. But it's genuinely wonderful to connect with supporters to thank them and not be asking for anything in return. It is an enjoyable thing. And as you said, as fundraisers, we do it more. But for those people in roles for board members and others to be doing it who don't normally, I think it's a great way of raising the fundraising culture and getting them involved in a very positive way. Yeah. And again, absolutely consistent with the research you just mentioned. Alice said that for the first time in years, about 18 months on from that first thankathon, she found when she looked at her numbers, the cancellation rate of regular giving had radically dropped and income from regular givers had become steady. Love it. I know how hard it can be if you're the fundraiser. And right now you're in a charity where the culture, there are some lovely people who work in service delivery and they're really good at their jobs and so on. But if you're really honest, one of the things that makes your fundraising hardest is that across the organisation, people aren't that interested in fundraising. I mean, they may 
congratulate you if you managed to get some money. But in terms of the wider organization and the leadership really buying in to their role in ma- making that happen, one of your headaches is that you're not there yet. Rome wasn't built in a day, but my key advice would be if you don't already have one, put in your diary to do a thankathon in the next two or three months. And you th- might be thinking, yeah, but they won't do it. They don't all have to do it. If you just get anyone doing it, if you make some thank you calls and you get one fundraising colleague doing it and one other person who is not a fundraiser or one board member, if you just start somewhere, then the magic that Louise just described starts to happen because those people will discover that the act of writing some heartfelt warm thank you cards and or even talking to a passionate donor on the phone who's happy to get you a call, the act of doing the thanking will reward and give endorphins to the person doing the thanking. And then, just like in Chance for Childhood, those people will become you know, more likely to be allies and they're more likely to spread the joy and encourage other people to do it. So just the key thing is start somewhere. Mm-hmm. And it's okay if right now some of your colleagues are too busy for it and don't quite get it. Absolutely. And I think this segues really nicely, unintentionally, actually, to one of my episodes of the year, which is number 91 with Linda Harwood Compton, um, part two. There's two parts of this episode. And this is around more ways to grow major and mid-level income. And Linda has so much fantastic experience to share. The bit that really made me think about the Thankathon is although Alice's episode was more about kind of mass and public fundraising and lower level supporters, actually calling, thanking and asking why people have supported and what they've got from their giving was one of the tips that Linda gave in this episode. And for me, it's hugely relevant for mid-level and major donor fundraising. I work with fundraisers often and maybe they've inherited some major donor relationships. Somebody's maybe been giving for five, sometimes 10 years. And they've recently started Sometimes they can be in post for a year or two. And when we're talking about the relationship and I ask, so how come they first started to give? Why do they give? The fundraiser doesn't actually know. And I've been in that position as well. We don't actually always think to take a step back and think, how did this person find out about them? So I love that about asking why people have given if we don't know. Um, And also Linda's really open and honest about asking people how they want to be contacted. And again, in major donor terms, this is something sometimes we worry about. Are we going to annoy them if we send an email or my other donor loves WhatsApp? But what if this donor gets really annoyed if I WhatsApp them because it feels too intrusive? But actually just having that conversation and saying to people what's best for you. Loved that tip. And there's so much in this episode that I enjoyed from Linda But my final point is around the CRM being your friend. And, you know, I've been in roles uh, and I'm sure a lot of listeners are where the history isn't necessarily on there. We want to update our CRM with the meeting we had with the donor, with the conversation we had, and maybe we don't quite get around to it. Absolutely crucial. And Linda's got, you know, a really good take on how to make it happen And from working with so many different fundraisers across charities, it is vital. One of the number one challenges that people have if they're talking about a donor that they haven't yet met or a potential major donor and they're on the CRM is 
I don't know much about them. There isn't much history on there. Yet they could have met the CEO and come to an event five years ago. And so it's kind of just a reminder as well that you are paying it forwards for anybody who does your role in the future, if we can use the CRM. But then for you currently to actually be able to log information about your donors in one place, it means you've got the data set as your program grows, but it also means your job becomes quicker and easier if you can get into these habits of using it. That point particularly spoke to me when Linda was talking about the CRM and using it to grow your major and mid-level income. Yeah, I really love those episodes. And whenever I talk to Linda, I always just get reminded of just how informal and modern and proactive her communication is. She just did a session just recently for our Bright Spot Members Club about storytelling. And listeners to this podcast are probably well aware of how keen I am about the power of sharing specific real examples about the difference the charity makes. Linda, one of the formats in which she does that well is on WhatsApp. And if in your home life, find that WhatsApp or similar forums actually is the way you communicate with lots of your friends and make lots of non-work things happen is with through WhatsApp, not email now. Well, Linda has found ways to make WhatsApp work really well in that just light touch, informal, quick communication with especially with mid donors, but also some major donors and including ways to share powerful, persuasive stories about the cause through WhatsApp. So if some of our listeners, I'm sure are doing that already. But if you've noticed a disconnect between how you communicate in your home life and then this more over formal way of doing it in terms of emails and so on you want to could I make WhatsApp work for our donors then listening to Linda's episode for that reason I think also is uh, really helpful. Hi it's Rob and I wanted to quickly let you know about our two flagship programs designed to help you grow high value fundraising results that's Major Gifts Mastery and Corporate Partnerships Mastery which both start again in late January 2023. These programs help you make progress through a combination of masterclasses and individual coaching support. To give you a sense of the impact they can have, I've found it's most interesting to hear from people who've done the programs. So here's a brief clip from Grace Cannings, who you may remember from episode 112, and who recently completed Major Gifts Mastery. In this clip, she's talking about how the program helped not only her skills, but also her confidence. I think going back to being kind of more confident, I'd say that it's helped me become more calm in meetings with donors. And I know, I think it was maybe a couple of weeks after our first session, I was in a meeting with a donor and managed to secure a 25K gift from them, which was incredible. And it was the first meeting I'd actually run by myself without anybody else from my team being there. So it felt like a really big win for me. And then also alongside that, we've had more people renewing their donations and gifts. And I think just generally the level of communication that I've been able to give with people has been great. Yeah, I just implore anybody to go on this course. It's been fantastic. If you'd like to find out more about either of these two programmes, go to brightspotfundraising.co.uk forward slash services. Right now, let's get back to the interview with Louise, in which we share key ideas from two more episodes that we recommend. Rob, I think one of your highlights was a gift aid episode, wasn't it, with Phoebe? Yeah, absolutely. Episode 104, 104, with the brilliant Phoebe Cooper. This one really inspired me because 
absolutely there are things we can do to inspire existing or new donors to give. But I love this one because there is some value out there for most charities, which is not about getting new. It's just about claiming what's there all along. And I'm talking about gift aid. And if you're a fundraiser, probably many of your donors know about gift aid. They're in the habit of ticking those forms and so on. Uh, and they love the value of that tax effective way of adding to the value of the gift. But in episode 104, Phoebe said, I, was, I think it was a staggering figure of unclaimed gift aid. I think it was something like uh, 560 million pounds in the uk charities they're not claiming um primarily because the donors didn't necessarily understand or know or have the time to sort that out and phoebe she listened to some of our themes in 2022 about the concept of the obstacle is the way and she became really interested in when something is a problem or a disadvantage Yes, there's an annoyance to a pandemic happening, but is there some benefit as well if I am only determined to, by hook or by crook, find it? And there are challenges about gift aid for most charities. A, some, it's not totally easy for everyone to understand. B, it can seem relatively dry compared to the concept of the animals you're saving or whatever. And yet, is there an opportunity there in spite of that? And basically, she looked at what they had done in previous years to encourage people who are not currently claiming gift aid to do so. And there was some effect, but she felt the results could be better. And she looked at the default tactic that had been used, which was direct mail and digital campaigns. And her insight was that it's not very easy to help people understand this actually slightly tricky thing and dry thing through those media. So again, she's a brilliant team player. She got colleagues internally interested in, could we take a risk and do things differently and better and in a much more interactive way where we're more likely to be able to explain? So they did two things. One was a telephone campaign rather than a one-way sending communication out and the second thing was a, a fun and entertaining video and they did lots of this activity in the build-up to and on the day of gift aid awareness day and again if the listeners aren't aware about that just google gift aid awareness day and you could use that next year as a key focus in your plans anyway long story short using this different style of communication to properly explain what the donor could be getting for their money and having these chats with people, two-way chats to find out, uh, did you know about gift aid? Oh, and if they knew about it and for whatever reason they didn't want to do it, that's fine because the phone is interactive. But if and when they didn't know much about it and they wanted to know more, practically speaking, the, the telephoners could help them do it. Long story short, this led to the charity where Phoebe works to finding an extra quarter of a million pounds that was just lying there on the table waiting to be taken. And what I love about it is it's worth more than a quarter of a million pounds because that's the value up to that point. And of course, once you've 
filled in the forms to want to do gift aid, then subsequently any further gifts that donors to that animal charity give will also now include gift aid. So A, this is about gift aid, and I think many charities can do that if they change their approach. B, I think it's just an example of if you've tried to solve any fundraising problem in the past and it hasn't worked, it doesn't mean that it's not solvable. It just means those tactics you tried didn't work. So whatever your headache is, let alone gift aid, look again, what else could you try that maybe would solve it? Yeah, completely agree. It's fantastic, isn't it? And I I think huge credit to Phoebe for, as you say, taking something that actually doesn't always get the attention it deserves because it does feel dry. And I've been guilty of that in the past in my fundraising roles and really doing something different with it. And it reminds me of, People haven't listened to part one of the theme when we were talking about matching in the episode with Alana Jackman, just in the sense of explaining to people how their money will go further. We'll be able to do more. This isn't about a dry piece of paper. People have given because they want to make a real difference to whatever your charity is trying to achieve. They care and being able to link it back to that in a really human way rather than a dry form gift aid way, I think is brilliant. So I loved that episode as well. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think if we are quick, we'll be able to fit in one more idea or episode. Louise, again, this I think the one you wanted to share is slightly different that it's not overtly about the money from the donors per se. But frankly, it's the most important idea if we as charities are going to have our teams thriving and enjoying doing well. Is it episode 101? Yeah, a bit cheeky, two episodes, 101 and 102, because it's a two-parter. And I mean, I specifically recommend this for managers, but really relevant to a lot of fundraising teams. So this is with Paul Knott, who has a lot of experience recruiting into charities, but is also now a retention specialist, which when we think of some of the challenges we have, and if anybody has tried to recruit into fundraising roles recently, um, or even in the last couple of years, we'll know how important this is. So many points that came out to me. Paul is wonderful. He explains things brilliantly. But a few of the things that really I found particularly helpful, hopefully the listeners will. The first was in terms of actually when you as a fundraiser might be thinking about moving and might be thinking about a new job is actually what does success look like for you? I think our sector can be quite hierarchical and it's easy to think that actually success needs to have a head of at the front of my job title or a director. But Paul really kind of eloquently explains about the options for not necessarily getting more and more senior, but actually thinking about what you might enjoy more. I love Paul's parallel in terms of when people are in fundraising roles of using the retention skills we use with donors internally and I find this is a theme a lot in fundraising that often we have these skills we use externally with donors and actually we can use them internally so that was just brilliant he gives the example of young minds in particular who Paul has been working with for a number of months and talks about these small touches of giving that they do when new starters start they get a mug And they get a handwritten note on their first day, which just filled me with warmth. And it's something as a manager, I never did that. And I was just thinking, wow. So and some of this is happening before someone's first day as well. So actually, they are so psyched up and excited about their new role. So I loved those touches and those examples. I love Paul talking about the mindset shift that actually it can be really easy in the sector to be like, well, 
fundraisers just stay for 18 months, two years. That's that's what they do. And actually to challenge ourselves on that. Why is that? That doesn't have to be the case necessarily. So I loved that. And Paul talks about flexibility. If anybody follows me on social media or gets my emails, they'll know I'm a massive advocate of flexibility. And this is something, Rob, we've talked about before. As a manager or as a team leader in fundraising, this can feel hard. What does that mean? A lot of you as listeners will be getting used to hybrid working and what that looks like post-pandemic. But again, the practical tips in this episode of Young Minds as an example, that they changed their core hours and made that more flexible and outside of the core hours, do what you need to do. And another practical example of actually managers within the teams at Young Minds and within fundraising as well, saying, you don't have to ask me to go and watch your child at sports day. You don't have to tell me when you've got a dentist appointment. I don't need to know where you are every minute. I trust you. And that is one thing to say it. It's quite another to do it. So I'm fascinated by this culture that they're building. It's doing brilliantly for their fundraising. All of us like to think we're not kind of into presenteeism, but actually there are certain signs of it still there. And that to me, that example of do what you need to do, obviously put it in your calendar. So we're not worried about you if you're away for a couple of hours and we need to get a hold of you. But it's just brilliant uh, and has led to an increase in accountability, which is something in the sector I think often we can struggle with a little bit, is actually as managers that can be really challenging. But because it's not about the hours and if somebody is physically there, they have had to work harder as a culture at Young Minds to think what does success look like for this role? What are the actual KPIs around activity, for example? Maybe the number of meetings, the number of trust proposals, the number of pitches, as opposed to the number of hours. So, so much positive stuff. It can feel like a really challenging area. I think particularly if you are quite run down and very busy as a manager. So I'd highly recommend episodes 101 and 102 for a listen to maybe pick up some practical small things to be able to do for the team. Yes, I really enjoyed those ones as well. And across all of these conversations I've been privileged to have over the years, a thing that I'm becoming ever more clear on is the importance of trust as this fundamental thing where you help people feel psychologically safe because they are trusted and respected. That's at the heart of all of the high achieving cultures in fundraising and in all these other areas that sometimes I talk about on this show. And it's one thing to get ever more clear that that's a crucial element. It's another to really go the extra mile in making sure that people are feeling trusted because, you know, I'm probably as a leader, you would hope and presume that people know they're trusted because you trust them. But I think it's a whole other thing to help them very definitely feel that signal because maybe you've never done anything to cause them to be mistrusted overtly. And yet it is the system that if they want to go to their child's nativity play, they need to let you know in advance. And so these not obvious things, I think, that can nibble away at really the the kind of being valued and trusted that Paul talks about at Young Minds. Louise, thank you so much for making time to do this second roundup of the Fundraising Bright Spots podcast in 2022. 
of course, there's another 25, 30 or so episodes people could choose to listen to. But I hope just today and in our previous episode, we've given some top tips for where someone could start if they're looking for something to listen to today. Louise, I look forward to catching up with you again in 2023 and hearing some more examples of what you're up to at Summit Fundraising and all the wonderful things that your clients are doing, especially in the high value space. If people want to find you, maybe that's a good good thing because they've got some questions about, for instance, trust or major donor fundraising. Where do they find you? Summitfundraising.co.uk and on social media, I'm most active on LinkedIn and I'm also on Twitter a little bit at Summit Fundraise. But thank you, Rob. Thanks for bringing us all the episodes and thank you to all of your guests because it's one of the like wonderful things about fundraising is just everybody being able to learn from each other. So thanks for asking me to round it up with you. You're very welcome. And yeah, that from me as well. I haven't had time to, to give that thank you to all of our generous guests who've helped us this year. But uh, I really am grateful for the kindness people show in honestly sharing their examples because they know it'll help some other fundraisers out there and some other good causes. It's a, it's a wonderful thing about our sector. So Louise, thanks for today. We'll catch up soon and bye for now. Bye. So there you go. I hope you found these ideas were helpful and that maybe our conversation gave you ideas for other episodes that will be useful for you or your team to listen to. In case you want to check them out now, they were episode 103 about effective thankathons with Alice Barley, episode 91 about deepening mid and major donor relationships with Linda Harwood Compton, episode 104 about growing gift aid results with Phoebe Cooper, and episodes 101 and 102 about retention with Paul Knott. Remember, you can get a full transcript of today's episode with links to everything we talked about on the podcast section of our website, which is brightspotfundraising.co.uk. If you've not yet subscribed, please remember to do that today so that you can get immediate access to all the episodes we just talked about and many more, as well as lots of exciting new ones that we've got coming up. If you'd like to find out more about our flagship course, the Major Gifts Mastery Programme, the next one starts in late January 2023. And at the time of recording, there are just a handful of places left. If you'd like to find out more, check out the information on our website at brightspotfundraising.co.uk forward slash services. If you found this show helpful, I would really appreciate it if you could take a moment to share it on with your colleagues or on social media so that these ideas can help as many charities as possible. Louise and I would love to hear what you think about this episode, or if maybe there's another episode that you found helpful in 2022, do let us know. We're both on LinkedIn and on Twitter, Louise is at Summit Fundraise and I am at Woods underscore Rob. Lastly, thank you for listening today and I look forward to sharing lots more Bright Spot stories with you over the coming year. Bye.